0: forgotten condoms can break. Some women want to conceive in the near future, some never again. So for lots of different reasons, for lots of different people, there are lots of different contraceptive options. But do we know enough about these options? And do we talk confidently enough about what we need? Bayer with a strong heritage in contraception and female health are on a mission to help educate us all find the right option to fit our lives. With the relaunch of mycontraception.ie, a dedicated website full of everything we need to know. I'm Sinead Moore from Every Mum, and in this five-part series supported by Bayer, I talk to four sensational GPs to better understand our bodies, our reproductive health, and the range of contraceptive options available in Ireland. Plus, specific episodes all about the right options if you've just had a baby or if you know your family is complete. The opinions shared in this podcast are those of the individual healthcare professionals and are intended as general information only, and not intended to replace a consultation with a healthcare professional, nor is it intended to provide specific medical advice. So always speak to your doctor or nurse for personal advice about you and your needs. Sex is often far from a postpartum mum's mind, but did you know that your body could be gearing up to ovulate again just 21 days after birth? In this episode, I talk to Dr. Emma Kilgariff, a vocationally trained GP who has worked in family medicine with qualifications in obstetrics and family planning. She is in practice in the Cloda Medical Centre in Galway City and particularly specialises in the area of women's reproductive and sexual health. Formerly clinical lead in obstetrics and gynaecology for the Irish College of General Practitioners, she is a member of the Reproductive and Sexual Health Committee of the ICGP and is a GP tutor in long-acting reversible contraception so you can see why she is the perfect person to talk to us about our fertility after birth, when it's medically safe to return to sex, the best contraceptive options for women after having a baby, and how every mum can be best supported by her GP at the six-week postnatal checkup. Dr. Emma Kilgariff, thank you for joining me on this episode. Postpartum, in particular, the fourth trimester, is a time when women are recovering. Hormones are rebalancing, energies are often depleted, and being cared for while we care for our babies, is essential. As a GP, you meet so many women at this particular stage in her life, especially at that six-week checkup. So tell me a little bit more about what's going on with her hormones in that postpartum
1: phase. Okay, Sinead. So um, the proparium, or the postpartum period, as you've mentioned, that begins when the placenta is delivered and continues for the next six weeks. So that's straight after birth. Exactly, immediately after birth. And I suppose, as we all know, there's a lot of hormonal changes going on. Uh, so it's no wonder that those first few weeks can be an emotional roller coaster for, for mum. Um, and every woman will have a different experience in this. And some women will fly it and have no issues. Uh, but I must say, I think they're definitely in the minority. Minority, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, well, turmoil <laughs> going absolutely, on. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Um, but most women will experience all sorts of issues like you can have perineal pain, backache, sore nipples, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I suppose we need to remember that this is time that we should rest and sort of give your body uh, and your mind a chance to recover. So hormonally, I suppose, both progesterone and beta HCG, which are the the hormones of pregnancy, they start to drop very quickly after delivery. Um and that's when women commonly experience baby blues, obviously, and sort yeah. of feeling and that kind of three day detached. blue Absolutely, thing. Absolutely, yeah, that's all related to the hormonal changes, you know. So that's
0: the progesterone really leaving, is yeah, it?
1: Progesterone and the beta HCG, exactly. That um that will um will will give that dip. Uh, mm. So that the progesterone dips first around day three, as you've said, and then day seven. By day seven, your 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 um beta HCG has really dropped down. Very okay, low, you know. It's really good
0: to know that because there's a real there's a real reason behind it, because a lot of women get confused and assume, is this something to do with motherhood and like the baby? But actually, it's a chemical thing going on inside you. Yes,
1: exactly. And sort of it's not that you're overwhelmed and I'm not coping and I'm not whatever. Mm. It's actually a biochemical thing that's going on, you know. So, as you say, that is sort of reassuring for people to know that that it's normal. exactly. Exactly. So um, then I suppose your oestrogen will start to rise and I suppose that 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 will keep going so that by day 21, you're sort of heading towards sort of follicular level. And again, that's where we need to be aware that, look, potentially things are starting to, to happen again and your ovaries are starting to to work away and, you know, potentially women could ovulate by day 28 theoretically you know so so all of this hormonal stuff is going on while you're just that's much
0: sooner than your baby yeah (laughs) Yeah. that's much sooner than I would have imagined
1: yeah absolutely yeah now that is literally the the earliest time it can happen but it can happen you know so 21 days after the birth you could start to experience
0: that rise in oestrogen again which will trigger ovulation a week later
1: exactly exactly now They would say the vast majority of women will have ovulated by 90 days. So it's between those 28 and 90. It all depends. It obviously depends if you're breastfeeding or not. Mm. For example, prolactin, uh, another hormone. And as the name suggests, pro and lactin. So it's for lactation, for breastfeeding. That gradually decreases over the first two weeks if you're not breastfeeding. But obviously it's much slower decline in women that are lactating or breastfeeding. And because when the baby suckles, that produces prolactin and stimulates prolactin. um, And that's why in breastfeeding women, their periods don't return for much longer um, than in a woman who, who isn't breastfeeding.
0: But does that mean that she's less likely to conceive?
1: Yeah. So actually, in fact, the, you know, prolactin, is associated with amenorrhea, which means no periods. Okay, so Mm. so I suppose when you are breastfeeding, your prolactin is higher. And hence this lactational um, amenorrhea or lactational amenorrheic method, LAM of of contraception that people will talk about. um, If in certain situations, it's actually quite effective. Okay, they would say it's two in a hundred failure rate, which actually, if you compare it to pearl indexes or, uh, you know, failure rates of other methods of contraception, is not too bad. Okay. you know. Uh, however, there's really strict sort of stipulations. You know, the baby has to be um, feeding at night. The baby has to be not taking any solids or other liquids at all. So you have to be absolutely exclusively breastfeeding. Baby has to be under six months. The mother has to have absolutely no periods. So there's there's lots of other things. Other, other criteria exactly, involved. Exactly, exactly. So it's not so a foolproof method. No, absolutely. We can't 100% um, percent d- depend on it. OK. Um, and that's really important to know because there is kind of that myth,
0: you know, of, oh, it's fine if I'm breastfeeding after baby. Um, I won't conceive. And I do think it's really nice that your body is being kind to you in a sense where it feels like you know, they recognize that there's still a baby being cared for and almost maybe mum's mum has enough on her plate um, and is delaying that. But it's not a foolproof method. And I think that's really important for women to understand.
1: Yeah. And I think that's why most GPs will offer another method.
0: So the hormones are are normalizing and returning up to that 28 day part. But obviously that isn't the end of that postpartum phase for women.
1: No, uh, so I suppose six weeks uh, is is, is the end, we would say, sort of from a medical or physical uh, point of view of the postpartum period. However, it would be important to remember that actually from a mental health point of view, up to the end of the first year is actually considered the postpartum period for women. So you know we're dealing with a lot of stuff, we're dealing with a lot of hormonal changes, a lot of new changes in our life and and extra stressors. So it, it is important, I suppose, to look after your mental health for that first year. And again, to make sure you contact your GP or your health provider if you do have any concerns. Um, about your mood or anything like that uh, in
0: that period. It's really great to hear because there are so many women who are experiencing those anxieties and stresses in postpartum and again maybe blaming themselves a little as though they're just not up to it whereas actually there's a there's a lot going on in a woman's body which is having an impact on all of these factors.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And even sort of physically, if you think like the womb is involuting or shrinking back to its normal size over the first six weeks and sort of by two weeks after delivery, you really shouldn't be able to to palpate or to feel the womb uh, in the abdomen. And I suppose um, the, the lochia or what we call the postpartum bleeding that that will happen mm. um, after delivery. These are all regulated by these hormonal changes as well. So it's like a heavy period initially. Um, And you have kind of leftover blood and tissue and mucus and all that lovely stuff, you Mm. know. Uh, And then after a week or so, it'll taper off and sort of change color from goes from red then to pink to kind of a yellowish white and then eventually to white, you know. And I suppose it just again is important that if a woman has any large clots or sort of extremely heavy bleeding or any foul odor or discharge, it's so important that she would contact her GP immediately, you know, um, and uh, often you'll notice women who have cesarean sections, they actually mightn't have that progression of, of lochia or as much bleeding because obviously when they have the section, the womb is sort of cleaned out after the. Uh, so there's just less to come, so there's to come out. So there's less to come out. Exactly. So it's not as if there's anything wrong or that that should have happened and didn't happen. that's just because of the sort of mechanical uh, and the operation that, that had happened, you know, so that that would be normal.
0: And even with the prolactin, I remember, you know, joint pain as Absolutely. a result of prolactin. Absolutely, yeah. And a yeah. feeling every morning that actually like my my ankles and feet and stuff, I was like, am I getting arthritis? So there yeah. are other physical yeah. Yeah. Uh, effects, I suppose, yes. of this yeah. hormonal change. And, and it
1: may not even be the prolactin, actually, that may be causing that. It might actually be also... Um, you know, losing that nice, those, those other nice hormones of pregnancy as well. And and we often see, you know, maybe if someone does have um, an inflammatory arthritis or an inflammatory condition, that actually they can be great during pregnancy and then things can sort of relapse a little bit afterwards. And that's it. So, I mean, look, so we've up with a lot as women, really. Certainly, of this yeah. Sort of, uh, so those nourishing yeah. hormones
0: in pregnancy exactly. can actually remove some of those ailments. Yeah. Exactly. Or mask you can them.
1: Feel, well, yeah. Or you can just feel feel better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. After those first 12 weeks, obviously. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's yeah. right. But you yeah. do
0: you do go through. Um, I suppose that's where the glow comes from. And I suppose yeah. there is, you know, an energy uplift and a feeling mm. of well-being for a lot of women. A lot of women. Not all. but Not yeah. all. Yeah. yeah exactly. But definitely in that kind of second half of the second trimester. Yeah. Mm. Um, So it's interesting to know that 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 is also being driven by your hormones. And as a result, when they are re-regulating, of course, there is going to be so many knock-on impacts.
1: Yeah. And I think that is, again, sort of a reason that we kind of need to be, you know, not making too many arrangements to, you know, get out and go and meet Mary for coffee or whatever, you know, just take a bit of time, give yourself some rest, feed your baby, try and just take it easy. You know, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves nowadays and, and, It's not always a good thing either, you know.
0: And just nest.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: At my last GP appointment before my child was born, my doctor, she actually she wrote out like on her script pad, two weeks of rest. Mm -hmm. And she was like, take this seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, one week of just definitely near the bed, one week near the couch, but just listen to your body and rest. Mm -hmm. And actually it was kind of the the severe talking to. That I probably needed because like everybody else, I probably fell into the, well, I can do anything and I can bounce back and I can get out there. Um, And I think that for a lot of women who you do have a lot of adrenaline in those early days as well Mm -hmm. and you do feel like Mm a superwoman. um, But there can be kind of a crash later on because you maybe didn't rest in those early weeks.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And actually, in a lot of cultures, actually, the woman in the postpartum period is really looked after. And other women will come and help and mind and provide food and look after other children and do all other bits, you know? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that is just import- so important. And it's so important for a good recovery and for establishing lactation and breastfeeding and all that. So you do need that village yeah, we, to yeah, come yeah, in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, definitely not available to us all. But anyway, no, look, absolutely we do our best. Not. Whatever's available. Yeah.
0: But yeah. yeah, if people are coming over to hold the baby, make sure they're also doing something to help you. Things like that. If you you can. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So hormonally, a woman's fertility might be, for a phrase, bouncing back at that 21 and 28 day postpartum phase. But really, for a woman, you know, returning to to sex is less likely to be ready at that point. You know, whether it's from tiredness, uh, hormonally, probably just not interested But it's an incredible time for recovery as well. I mean, if you think of what a woman's body has just gone through, she really does need to um, be careful and mind herself. But what are the kind of medical recommendations when it comes to sex in postpartum? Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. So, look, I think we all know that sort of when you're feeding or, you know, changing and comforting a new baby around the clock, uh, and if your perineum is sore or, you know, you've had a cesarean section, and not to mention the hormonal roller coaster that we've just discussed—that um, this women have been on for the past six weeks. You know, sex is really not on the agenda. It's just not the vast majority <laughs> of women. Yeah, yeah. Abstinence is the greatest form of Absolutely. contraception in this point. Absolutely, and rightly so. Mm. And um, I suppose there are no real criteria or guidelines on when you can return to sex. Um, although I would say that a woman is higher risk of infection in the first two to four weeks especially if she's had a tear or an episiotomy you know mm. so it's probably safer to wait until after this time at the very least um i suppose if a woman has had a spontaneous vaginal delivery and has an intact perineum um, then she may well feel she wants to return to return she wants to return to sex earlier than a woman who's had an intervention um but she may not either you know and um Uh, Really, I would say that if a woman's had a tear or an episiotomy or forceps for vacuum delivery or if she's had a cesarean section, then really only when her wound has healed and her sutures have dissolved and she's pain free, should she consider returning to intercourse. Um, And instead, I'd advise sort of focusing on self-care, you know, salt baths, make sure you're lying on your side, taking care in lifting, things like that. Nothing heavier than your baby, for example. Uh, if you've had a section and sort of spending time with your partner without the pressure of sex. And um, and I mean, really, my patients and I often have a little laugh together Absolutely. when I ever mention contraception at the six week check, because we sort of all know how how often and uh, how how we're much too tired, really, and still just recovering at that stage. And really, it's by no means that your GP is suggesting that uh, trying to pressurize women into thinking they need to start back having sex. Um, it's just we feel it's so important to take the opportunity to give women the information they need to have choices around their reproductive health. And um, we always have to be conscious also of women who, for various medical or psychosocial reasons, need immediate contraception after delivery. So really, it's for this reasons, um, you know, that we do bring this, this up for discussion. Um, and I think it's reassuring for women. You know, a very good study in the UK found that the majority of women would find it uh, would wait six to eight weeks after a delivery, and many wait much much longer, um, before they'd return to mm. sexual intercourse. Mm. So I suppose the message I'd like to get across here, in answer to your question, is that no woman really should return to sexual intercourse before she's one hundred percent emotionally, physically, and mentally ready herself. And sort of I'd encourage her to talk to her public health nurse or her GP if she's got any questions around this.
0: I'm so encouraged to hear you say that because like that at the six week check, I think I was a bit surprised to be asked about contraception because it just had not dawned on me whatsoever that sex was even on the agenda in, in any short to medium term <laughs> so, span. So you're a normal per- woman, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so it really is, I suppose, as you said, to just make sure it's, it's, it's an opportunity for that health provider, healthcare provider to give that information so that, you know, she can have an informed decision. But it's it's not a now you should
1: return Absolutely to any form not. of contraception. Absolutely not. I suppose we do know that short interpre- interpregnancy intervals of 12 months or less um, is are associated with poor outcomes for baby. Yeah. So things like low birth weight or increased risk of preterm birth. So what you mean by
0: that is having a baby, falling pregnant shortly after. Yes, Mm.
1: literally within the first three months or something like that, Mm. you know, so so essentially and, and look, that's what some women absolutely want to do and desire to do. And that's fantastic. And their babies will be perfect, you know, but I suppose we have to look at people that are in different categories for different medical or psychosocial reasons, you know. They might be under pressure for whatever reason. Mm. And really, it's so important that GPs give this information uh, that that women are empowered to be in control of their reproductive choices, really.
0: You're really, you know, you're protecting her. You're minding her and caring for her.
1: Absolutely.
0: In our recent study by Every Mum on this topic, with over 1,800 women in Ireland we learned that 50% of women change their method of contraception after starting a family. So we wanted to explore what the most beneficial forms are for a postpartum mum. So if a woman does present and she does want to return to a form of contraception in postpartum, uh, assuming all is well, she's very healthy in all other regards, what postpartum contraceptions do you think are the most
1: compatible for a woman? Okay, perfect. Well, um, I suppose we're very lucky in Ireland because I think in Ireland we have, um, you know, very well trained GPs who have expertise in a lot of areas of contraception. You know, um, it would be interesting going to different conferences on contraception in Europe and and other, you know, other places. Actually, there is not the wealth of of, of options available to women in other countries uh, that you would imagine. So between our very good family planning clinics and our GPS we actually do um, have the resources and the options to, to give and um, the special the expertise mm. uh, to offer women all of these options so I suppose um there's different classes of, of contraceptive options um, and we'd normally divide these for example you have obviously barrier contraception condoms and a lot of women are absolutely happy to sort of use those uh, they're comfortable with using them and with their use they're happy with any risks are associated um, and again obviously women who'd use the lactational uh, amenorrhea method which we've discussed before with breastfeeding uh, again not 100% guaranteed um, but if you follow certain guidelines it can be a, a good method in the first six months you know again GPs would always encourage maybe using another option such mm. as a progesterone only uh, pill or, or something on and that And why line. progesterone only? Well uh, I suppose we always did offer Uh, progesterone only methods because it was thought that the combined contraceptive pill could decrease uh, your milk supply. So combined contraceptive pill is oestrogen and progesterone, whereas the progesterone only pill just has progesterone as the name would suggest in it, uh, as does the implant, the injection, the depot injection uh, and also obviously intrauterine systems. Um, and obviously a, a copper coil has no hormones at all. So so they don't obviously interfere with breastfeeding. However, there can be issues around those others. So normally probably a pill or an implant um, might be your your first choice to support a breastfeeding mother, the progesterone only pill. Um, The rationale, I suppose, behind not rushing straight into an intrauterine device in a breastfeeding mother is that if you're breastfeeding and under six months post delivery, that's when your highest risk of perforation of an intrauterine device. So that would be where, you know, she could make a little hole in the side of the womb Mm. um, and and that can um, obviously complications uh, b- com- as a result. Yeah, you can get complications as a mm. result exactly so whereas it's not an absolute no no we would sort of be more cautious um about using an intrauterine uh, device in the very early stages when somebody is breastfeeding so that's specific to breastfeeding
0: yes with the with the you I U T is that the I U D
1: intrauterine device, yeah. Okay. So that's your copper coil, yeah. Would that
0: yeah. have risk of perforation
1: in Absolutely. a non-breastfeeding mother in the other, yeah. in six months? So, um, no, really, there's a risk of of, of, of perforation um, with with all of these intrauterine devices, okay. And um, but it's just when you're breastfeeding, the 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 wall of the womb is, is thinner because of the hormone. Uh, so it, it just makes it a little bit more likely. So we would often say to somebody, why don't you maybe use either progesterone only pill to support your lactational amenorrhea? I mean, you're very low risk anyway, because you're this. And then after six months, we can look at moving forward to using an intrauterine device if that's what you want. Or somebody might want to use an implant or they might want to um, use... Um, a a depot injection either you know.
0: It's really good to know that there are specific ones available to support
1: breastfeeding mothers and they don't have to worry that anything will actually decrease
0: their milk supply.
1: No and and actually the more recent evidence actually about the combined pill is that it doesn't decrease milk supply. It's still advised not to start it maybe to six weeks um, until lactation has been established but really I think Um, women and GPs are probably as happy just to use a progesterone only method um, because there isn't any issue with um, bleeding um, because obviously if you're you're breastfeeding you're probably going to be have very little bleeding anyway so Mm -hmm. in general most people would just use um, a progesterone only method to support it.
0: And if a woman is hoping to conceive in the next say 12 to 18 months for instance you know, so she does want to go on a form of contraception in those early months postpartum. But she is hoping to to conceive again relatively soon after that birth.
1: Are there specific options which you'd recommend in that instance? Yeah. So, I mean, again, when we're discussing classes of contraception, as I said previously, we have our um, oral, we have our barrier and then we have obviously oral contraception, which we know as our progesterone only pill and our combined pill. We have patch form, which would be oestrogen and progesterone. And, we and that's physically placed on the skin, physically placed on the skin. So you can put it on your thigh, upper thigh or lower abdomen uh, or some people can put it on their upper arm. It depends. And is the hormone to... absorbed in through the skin? Yes, yes. And what's good about that is it's probably a little bit lower risk of clotting because of the way it's uh, it's metabolized. Okay. So uh, there are benefits with that. OK, and. Um, and the ring, the vaginal ring then is literally it's like a very sort of soft little ring and you can squeeze it up and insert it like a tampon, essentially. Mm. And it sort of pops up uh, and sits behind the neck of the womb or, uh, and, and it doesn't fall out. Uh, well, very rarely. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it, 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 it secretes the hormone. Uh, to the area so again you need less and lower dose of hormone because it's so near to the ovaries because it's yeah, yeah so it's exactly, reaching the yeah, exact yeah, zone yeah, it needs and women to. are women are very happy with that uh, so usually you leave it in for three weeks and then remove it and replace okay so and I suppose the big thing and another message we we want to get across uh, more recently and you, you may have spoken about this in other podcasts is I suppose the typical use failure rate of oral contraception rather than perfect use you know and we all Forget things, you know, if I had to take something for a week, I'd probably forget at least three days of it, you know. baby brain is a real thing. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. A real thing. I, I, I do
0: agree. I think that's a really important point. Yeah. It's very difficult to task yourself with remembering to take something every single day. Um. Before baby, never mind when you're in that postpartum sleep deprivation zone. So I really I'm encouraged by those those um, methods you described there that are actually once done. You don't necessarily have to worry about every single day.
1: Yes. So they would be your LARC methods. So long acting reversible contraceptive. So they would include your injectable. Uh, method your implantable method and your intrauterine so you know uh, the, the, the the bar in the arm is what you'd often hear mm. the implant called or um, the coil is, is what people would call the intrauterine option so they would be either a hormonal or a non-hormonal coil and I suppose there are two uh, hormonal coils one with a little bit less hormone than the other so it sort of depends on the, the, the person and what your wants and needs are. And I think if you discuss with your GP or your family planning provider, they'll uh, be very well sort of um, able to to discuss with you which might suit you better. You know, for example, if you're someone who's prone to heavy periods, uh, very heavy and long and painful periods, then maybe a copper coil isn't the best adv- uh, device for you. So even though it's fantastic because there's no hormones in it, it will make your periods a little bit heavier um, and a little bit longer, really not, not a huge amount. So, But I suppose it mightn't be if you're someone who's having really heavy periods, mm. it's not the greatest choice for you. And you'd be much better then to go with the hormonal coil, which keeps the lining of the womb nice and thin. And uh, it, with the fantastic result that you end up with no periods in a lot of cases, you know, you might have a little bit of spotting or bleeding for the first three months, but then it's it's wonderful because you can end up with with no periods which is a, is a great bonus as well so look there's lots of different options and the big thing I suppose is the reversible because of you as you've said like, yes so I would say more so in the in the case of the woman who might only want to wait for 12 to 18 months that really a pill a patch or a ring are a better option for her probably because you don't probably want to go to the cost and the you know effort of of having one of these devices put in either into your arm or into your womb if you're going to be taking it out again in a mm. year and, and having a baby, you know, that's the vast majority of women. Now, some women will say, look, these devices have a much lower failure rate. So they would be like less, less than one in 100 women will get um, pregnant on these mm. devices. Um, whereas, as we've said before, with typical use on a pill, it could be nine, you know, perfect use. It's two. So some women might say, look, I'm not willing to take that chance. I really want even they if want short term to, yeah. to use something else,
0: and if you are looking at more of a long term, robust solution, I suppose. So you're you're kind of going, no, do you know what? You know, definitely not in the next twelve to eighteen months. You're really looking at in the next four to five years, for instance. Is there anything specific around what a woman would be recommended in that instance?
1: Yeah, I think absolutely. Once you're moving on, and 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 you're going to have a longer uh, period in between your babies or your uh, your plans, I would definitely be moving on to one of the LARC options. Mm. OK, so that would be and in most women, if they've delivered a baby, I, I would usually offer them an intrauterine device um, or an intrauterine system, first line, you know, because I suppose they're very um, well accepted by women. You know, you have the women who love the fact that with um an intrauterine device or a copper coil, I have, you know, there's no hormones. This is my own my own hormones here. Yes, I yeah. have my periods the way that, my, okay, they might be a little bit heavier, they might be a little bit longer, but this is me. There's nothing else nothing going affecting on. It's it. not affecting mm. me. If my mood is down, I can't blame it on this. Yeah, it's, you yeah. know, this is the way it is. And Weight and skin and hair and all those yeah, things. Yeah, all of those things and women love that, okay, mm. and so that's one option but you cannot, you know, get away from the fact that it does make your periods. The Copper ions, I suppose, they, 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 they irritate and stimulate the, the lining of the womb so the period's just get heavier, you know, for some women. Mm. So it, it, it depends. And you have to be willing to sort of take that risk if you're going to try it. And then obviously we have two great intrauterine systems available to us, um, which I suppose, again, if somebody said, look, I'm not going to have a baby maybe for three years, they might decide, look, I'll just take a lower dose um, intrauterine system. And, you know, I may get a light period every month or I may get nothing. I'm not quite sure. Everyone has to be prepared for a little bit of irregular spotting or bleeding, same as you would with any progesterone only pill or, uh, the implant or depot injection. Um, and, but, you know, especially if you've had a vaginal delivery, very simple to in- insert. Most practitioners now are waiting until about three months okay. uh, for insertion, even though guidance would say it can be inserted at the first period, you know, and, uh, Believe it or not, in, uh, in 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 some countries, these are being inserted literally after delivery in the delivery ward. You know, they're they're straight away, straight away, absolutely. Well, um, while you're there, while you're there, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's like just popping into yeah. Tesco and like yeah, exactly. So um, and I suppose we would have probably been worrying about that in the line of could be at higher risk of perforation or not. But look, I suppose the high risk of these very quick pregnancies are, are not good for women either yes. you know so it, it just very much depends you know as long as you have a practitioner who's well used to to using them and they can discuss with you when is the best time I suppose bridging contraception is another really important thing that you know you should discuss with your GP because just say if for example either your GP wasn't somebody who inserted um, for example into uterine devices or implantable contraception uh, they could still give you From day 21, a progesterone only um, pill. Mm. And if you kept taking that all the time, you're covered until you can get to someone who will put it in for you. You know, so you have it buys you that time, you know, the bridging contraception. So it's good and it's compatible with breastfeeding as well, you know.
0: So there's so many options for women. um, But I think what I'm getting from this is it's incredibly important to have that relationship with your GP where you can work out together what their best option is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think what I would say is it's something that needs a bit of time. Mm. So I, I do think even though there will be a, a, a little bit of discussion, uh, maybe a prescription for, you know, um, a mini pill or something like that, um, which is the progesterone only pill, uh, you know, at your six week check. Or if you decide you want to go back on the combined pill, you're not breastfeeding, you're happy with that. Fine, too. But really for a full Consultation on your LARC options, which are long-acting reversible contraception options. It's good to make that time and look. Say, I'm going to book in with the GP. Let's make a separate appointment for this and give it the time that it deserves. And I think that's important because you do have to be cancelled on all the risks and benefits of mm. each of those different methods. You know, and um, going back to the the depot injection, which again, very good, especially for younger women. Uh, and if they decide, look, you know, I'm definitely not going to have a baby for a good while. The the reason probably we wouldn't rush with the depot, um, with with a woman who might be planning on a baby in twelve or eighteen months is that it it actually in some women fertility may not even after just one shot of depot may not return for up to two years. Okay. So you'd be very disappointed if you were you know in your mid thirties and were thinking God, I, I'd love Time another baby. Time to go baby. again, exactly. And then suddenly you've had this and you think God. This mightn't be great for me. So it, it all depends. And that's why I think it's important to give it the time and it not be a rushed thing. It you know? all depends so on your life stage and your plans. Exactly. Exactly. So sort of to make a specific consultation for it and kind of have an idea in your head. Look, this is what I would like. And then I can discuss and see, is this safe for me? Do I have any medical conditions? You know, do I have migraine with aura? Do I have family history of clotting like DVTs or um, pulmonary emboli or anything like that, um, or for any other medical problems, do I have high blood pressure? You know, um, even kind of immediately after delivery, when we talk about starting pills at twenty-one, um, day twenty-one, for example, if a woman had had like preeclampsia or it had, had, you know, a significant maybe hypertension of pregnancy or something like that, she mightn't be the best candidate for the combined pill at day 21. So her GP may offer her something like a progesterone only pill instead. So look, the, the the options are out there. What's good is for women, the women of Ireland is that the options are out there. You That's know, fantastic. I didn't realise that we were in a much better position we are, we are than other actually, countries. Yeah, which is good. I suppose ideally, and this has been my sort of lifelong um, bugbear, is I do think that the government should provide pre-contraception of choice to all women of of childbearing age Mm. Um, and hopefully that will come, but it's slow coming. What is driving that mission for you? I suppose you've just seen, I suppose you see the barriers to contraception and I think cost is a big barrier to contraception and um, when you see the efficacy of these long-acting reversible contraceptions to me, if I was in government, I couldn't see how that it would make much more sense to pay and say, yes, these women are sensible. They know that this is the best choice of contraception, that it's going to protect them from unplanned pregnancy. And um, hence, you know, it, it just it's a no-brainer, really. I just can't understand how they can't see that as good value for money to offer this to women. But anyway, that's another day's work.
0: But things like this start that conversation because I think it's only by... Empowering women to try and have a voice to ask for those things of their governments that we yeah, can truly yeah, actually yeah, receive that
1: yeah. because most women like it's much cheaper to buy a pill once a month, packet of pills once a month than to have to pay for you know if you don't have a medical card if you're just over that limit, uh, like it's a significant amount to, to have to pay um, for um, for the long acting exactly mm. you know so look. But it's all about choice. It is all about choice. And a woman owning her own body. Exactly. And it's good that we have those those options out there.
0: So I'm really getting that point on the setting up that separate consultation um, and not having it just a line item maybe in that six week checkup.
1: Yeah. And I really feel that because I think, you know, mothers and women will come in with their babies and really the baby is the priority for them on that day. And they want to discuss any issues with feeding or how the baby is 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 going, and that you know we're doing this top to head to toe examination of the baby and the baby's so and really often there just isn't the time then in that consultation and and to 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 go fully through everything that is involved. As I mean, we've just spent however many minutes twenty mm. minutes talking about this, you know. So there is a lot of information there. So really. The most important thing from the point of view of the six week check from the mother is to make sure that she does get across any issues that she's having with, you know, uh, with the GP. And so that then whatever can't be set, sorted on the day can be planned for and, you know, appointment can be made. To.
0: So typically for a woman who's approaching that six week checkup mark, what suggestions would you have for her in terms of how she can get the best out of that checkup?
1: OK, Um, So I suppose what I would say is, I mean, to not be embarrassed about mentioning anything that, you know, we are all embarrassed about, you know, so things that are happening to women after delivery, you know, there's hemorrhoids, constipation, you know, pelvic floor problems, you know, are you having incontinence of urine or leakage of urine? Are you having incontinence of feces? Are you having leakage of feces? you know, these are things that sound horrific, but happen to normal women after they have um, deliveries. And I suppose um, the most important thing would be that they'd mention these things to their GP, you know, and uh, obviously any issues with either section wounds or episiotomy wounds or, um, you know, any funny discharge or anything like that. And I suppose make sure those things are mentioned. And then I suppose the big thing we all want everyone to mention is about their mood, like and is their mood okay and... How are they coping? And that kind of thing, you know, And I think for a lot of women, sometimes when they have
0: those kind of um, medical meetings post baby, whether it's with the public health nurse or with the GP, I even experienced it myself. And I'm talking to lots of other women along the way. You do go in with a, I'm in control. I've got this sorted. Uh, I want to make it look like everything is fine you know there's a lot of funny kind of anecdotal stories the public health nurse is coming and you would clean the house like mad (laughs) we're Irish you know instead of seeing that it's not it's not it's it's not a point where you try and prove your ability nobody's doubting your ability but really an opportunity for you to go in and honestly say if there's a problem
1: absolutely yeah yeah and that's why you can see how really there there is limited time then for you know discussing full contraceptive options really you know because you want to you want to get every anything really important as well, you know, sorted as much as possible with that, you know. So it's a chance really for for mum to say, look, care for me too. Absolutely, absolutely, um, and you know I think even if everything isn't resolved at that visit, then at least if you've said it and you've known that this is this is a normal thing and can be, your GP will be absolutely. Um, have no problem in in dealing with it they'll make it they'll say look right we'll book you in on Monday we'll sort this out don't worry you know um so yeah I mean they're the they're the big things and the other thing I suppose I would say is you know there's so many fantastic GPs out there and um many of them specialize in areas such as minor surgery diabetes care you know various different things like that Uh, but they may not specialize in um offering, for example, long-acting reversible contraception. And in, if, if that is the case, they'll only be delighted to refer you to maybe a local colleague or to a local family planning clinic if that is your preference. And again, don't feel that just because your GP yeah. uh, didn't offer to you, it doesn't mean they don't know about it or they don't they wouldn't mm. be willing to refer you if that's what you want. So I suppose that's the other thing would be to sort of um, say to women, look, Your doctor will be very happy to refer you on if that's what you wish.
0: I think that's really important because I think a lot of women, um, a lot of people in general, they're in these situations and they're being guided by the practitioner. But actually to go in with your own, um, your own discussion points, like what do you want to get out of it and what information or what expertise do you want help with? Because it's the role of your GP maybe to direct you in the zone of actually there's a really great specialist care over here and you can be referred on. It doesn't necessarily have to always just be what's within that GP
1: care service. Exactly, exactly, you know, and um, so so that is important. And even things like sort of, you know, your smear being due and all that. So there's there's all those other things that are sort of part of the whole thing. Um, so it's, it's sort of a, a fluid and an ongoing process process really rather than just a one-off and for women to start
0: caring for their fertility and their reproductive system you know with specialist people as well so it's not an add-on it is an incredibly important part of our bodies Uh, absolutely so is there any advice um overall for any for any women considering that postpartum phase um i mean what my take out is have those really honest conversations with your gp but have you any other, I suppose, just final takeouts of support
1: for women in postpartum when they're considering their fertility and contraception? No, what I would say is look, mind yourself, um, enjoy your baby if you can, and um, I suppose just be aware that your GP is there to help and support you um, in whatever option you do choose. Thank you
0: so much for your time, You're and for welcome. your intelligence and your information. Um, I've learned so much just from these last few minutes and I really hope that everybody listening has also. So I really appreciate talking to you today. That's great. Thanks very much. Have you decided that your family is complete? If so, join us in our next and final episode of My Contraception by learning about the right options when you definitely don't want another baby with the incredible Dr. Rachel Mackey, author of the Women's Health book, a comprehensive and informative guide, to female health. Thank you for listening. We really hope that this show has supported you in finding out more about your body and how best to select the right contraception. You can find all the information relating to this episode by following the link to everymum.ie in the show notes. If you think others can benefit from this series, please rate, leave a review or share with us on social tagging everymom or using hashtag mycontraception. For more expert information and support, mycontraception.ie is always available to you. This show has been created by every mum, supported by Bayer. If you want to report a side effect or quality complaint for any contraception, please contact your healthcare professional or report them to the Health Products Regulatory Authority via the Bayer.ie website.